This morning, uh, I'm asked uh, Linda Brown if she would do our uh, scripture reading and then uh, commit this time to the Lord. Linda? Thank you, Linda. We'll be uh, continuing this morning, as uh, Linda mentioned, uh, through the Beatitudes, and we've been talking about Jesus and happiness. And uh, one of the things that uh, we have uh, pointed out in the last couple weeks is this this word, blessed, uh, could also be translated as happy. And so that as we would all agree that ultimately we are desiring to be happy, uh, that all of us in here want to be happy. There's nobody uh, that, that you know, uh, or hopefully no one that you know, that walks around uh, wanting to be miserable. I know that we all uh, struggle with being miserable sometimes, and we know miserable people, but we would all agree that ultimately we do desire to be happy. And when we ask ourselves uh, why we do the things that we do, uh, you keep asking the questions, and you will eventually come to the answer of, well, we are trying to be happy. Uh, we want to be happy. And that our happiness and God's purpose for our lives are not opposed to each other. Uh, a lot of times people view uh, Christianity as well, what it means to be uh, a Christian is to be always serious and you don't smile, you don't laugh, you don't uh, do anything uh, like that. You, you, you give this uh, appearance of 
of kind of uh, this superficial spirituality, and that means you're just serious all the time. Uh, and that is not necessarily the, the picture that the Bible paints, but that, that God created us, and so our desire for happiness is a God-given desire. Uh, and so the problem is, is that we are often uh, filling that happiness in other places. That we try to fill our desire for happiness with uh, power or prosperity or uh, sex or, or other, all these different uh, things that, that do bring some aspects of pleasure, but they are, are, are fleeting pleasures. Uh, they don't last. And so here, some 2,000 years ago, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, He's dealing with this question of happiness. And He's saying, you know, happy are those who do this. Happy are those who do this. Happy are those who do this. So that what Jesus is saying here is very relevant for us uh, today. And as we have looked at uh, the, fir- the first one, which was in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We saw that, if you could sum it up in one sentence, that that is showing that uh, for us to be happy in that sense, it takes us being aware of our sinfulness and our inability to do anything about our sinfulness. And so that creates this attitude of not being haughty and prideful and, and look how righteous I am, but being someone who is poor in spirit. The second one, which is in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You remember last week we looked at Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, and we saw how the life of the Apostle Paul was the best example of this, about how he this, this idea of mourning means mourning over our sin, that we are, are mournful, uh, not necessarily about life, but over the fact that we are sinners and that we can't do anything to have victory over our sin. But that, as Paul says, the comfort comes in... Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when he says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you see a kind of a natural progression. And we, this progression continues into verse 5, where it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, oftentimes when we think about inheriting in the earth, if you, if you look at the, the strategies of the world powers, of the history of the world, how has the earth been inherited in, in that sense? Has it been inherited by meekness? No, it's, it's usually inherited in the, in the worldly sense by, by power, where uh, whoever has the biggest military is the one who inherits the world. So how did the uh, British Empire expand? Did it expand by being meek? Uh, no, it didn't expand by being meek. It expanded by being powerful. How did the United States uh, go from just a few colonies on the east to all the way to the Pacific coast? Did it expand by being meek? No, it expanded by, by warfare. And you could do that for the Roman Empire. You could do that for, for any of the world empires, for Napoleon, any of these uh, 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 figures. The trouble is, is that because of that, we often associate this word meekness with weakness. But meekness is not weakness. And hopefully you will be convinced of that by the time uh, that we get done here. But, but then that leads to the question of, of what is meekness? What is meekness? What does it mean to be meek? Well, this morning as we work through this passage and look at a couple other passages, I want us to look at two things. One is the character of meekness, and the second one is the action of meekness. So, so one will be the actual character of, of what does meekness look like uh, in our character, and then the second one is the action of meekness. What kind of, of lifestyle or action should lead or, or overflow from being a meek person? Because ultimately, what Jesus is saying here 
is that if you want true happiness, not not superficial happiness, but if you want true God-given happiness, peace, and contentment, then Jesus is saying, this is the way to get it. This is the way to get it. So meaning that the opposite of this would not be the way to get it. So this is why Jesus' words are important. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So what does it mean uh, to be meek? What is the character of meekness? I think you could best describe it by simply saying it is gentle humility. Gentle humility. So when we say what is the character of meekness? Gentle humility. Not weakness, but gentle humility. Because this word can be translated as gentle also. And to show that, I want you to just turn over in your Bibles a couple pages to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, where the same word is used here. Matthew chapter 11 in verses 28, 29, and 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. And we're here, we're going to see a passage that Jesus is talking about where He refers to Himself as being meek or gentle. And so where we get this idea of, of gentle humility. So verse 28 of Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice in verse 29 where he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. When Jesus says, I am gentle, the word there, gentle, is the same as the word for meek. So so Jesus is saying that, that I am meek and lowly in heart. Now what is the word that we associate with lowly in heart? Humility, right? So, so here we have this idea of saying, well, that, that the character of meekness is to be gentle and lowly in heart. Now that's, you know, you say with gentleness and lowly in heart, that's kind of almost these uh, uh, abstract ideas. And, and, you know, what does it mean to be gentle and lowly in heart? You know, so that when I walk out of this door, you know, Pastor, uh, how should that affect my life? What does it mean to be someone who is meek? And so that's where we shift into the action of meekness. And before we do that, notice what Jesus says, where He says in verse 29, where He says, Take My yoke upon you, and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So Jesus in this passage is saying that I want you to learn from Me. So one of the things that we want to learn from Jesus, because He says, learn from Me, for I am gentle... And humble, or I, I am meek and lowly in character, is how to be meek and lowly in character. How to be gentle and lowly in character. So Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to be meek, if you want to know what the action of gentle humility is, then guess what? Put my yoke on and learn from me. And I'll show you. I'll show you what it means to be meek. So from this point... Again, taking the words of Jesus and saying, well, Jesus is saying, you learn from me. What has Jesus done in his life, in his actions, that display his meekness? What is it about Jesus that is the greatest display of meekness? 
And we want to learn from that. And that's where we're going to see the action of meekness. And so to do that, uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. And if you have a red Bible, I believe it's page 980. Page 980 in the Red Pew Bible. So the book of Philippians chapter 2. Book of Philippians chapter 2. And in this passage here is a passage that we looked at several times uh, here. I know since I've been the pastor, we'll look at it again this morning. Because this is a great passage that displays what meekness is. It displays the action of gentle humility. And so when Jesus is saying to my people, learn from me, then this is the best example of Jesus' life where we say, this is what Jesus was doing. He wants us to learn from Him. What can we learn uh, from Him, from Jesus' example here? So this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And that's page 980 in your Red Sea Bible. It's page 980. So here the Apostle Paul is writing, beginning in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. And notice what the Apostle Paul writes. He begins in verse 1, writing, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Notice what he says in verse 5 here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this isn't something that Paul is just thinking is a good idea, but he is commanding and exhorting God's people here to say, what I'm writing about, have this mind upon you. Do this. This is the action uh, of meekness. Do this as you are, are wanting to be like Christ. This is the way Christ was. And so therefore, this is the way His people should be. Notice in verse 6, he says, as he gives this command to have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, saying that we can have this mind through Christ Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God. A thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I said we were going to look at two aspects. The first one was the character of meekness, and the second was the action of meekness. Now, what did we say the character of meekness was? It was what? Gentle. Humility. Okay, so the question then comes up. What is the action of humility in this biblical sense? What is the action that humility calls for? Notice that this question is answered in verse 8. Where it's clear from the previous passages uh, that Jesus is humble. He, he's, he's made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And notice what in verse uh, 8 it says. And being found in human form, he humbled himself which is a verb, by doing what? By becoming obedient. So if you say, well, I'm going to describe Billy as a, as a, as a humble person in the biblical sense. 
The way that Paul says that is put into action, and the verb he uses here, the way Jesus put His humility into action, you know how Jesus put His humility into action? By becoming obedient. That Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the One who is infinitely greater than anyone in this sanctuary, humbled Himself... By becoming obedient. That He obeyed. The one person who has the right not to obey anything would be Jesus. But yet Jesus in His humility submitted Himself to obedience. But to whose obedience? To mine? Did Jesus say, Corey, I'm going to humble myself and I'm just going to obey you. Whatever you want me to do, Corey, you tell me, I'll do it. No. Did He do that to you? He says, well, well Elwood, you just... Send me an email. Send me a text. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm humbling myself to obey you. No, it's important to recognize who Jesus humbled Himself to the point of obedience to. And who is that? To the Father. In the Gospels, in in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of the One who sent me. Which was who? The Father. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before Jesus' betrayal and His crucifixion, you remember that Jesus went to pray to the Father and He had the cup and He was just praying and blood is praying so hard that it says that He was bleeding. And you remember what He told the Father? He says that if there's any way to remove this cup from Me, please do it. But then you know what He says? He says, not My will... But your will. So that in the Garden of Gethsemane, to where Jesus knew what the hours before Him lay, what they beheld, that it would mean His betrayal, it would mean His beating, His torture, and ultimately His crucifixion, that Jesus knew the pain that was coming in the next 24 hours. And He said, God, if it was up to me, I would prefer to do it a different way because I'm really not wanting to die right now. I'm not, I'm not wanting to be uh, uh, beaten. I'm not wanting to be whipped. I'm not wanting a, a crown of thorns to be put upon me. Because He says... If there's any way to do it a different way, please let's do it this way. But in the end, not my will, but your will. And so that in the end, Jesus is submitting His will to the will of the Father. And so here this same concept is in Philippians chapter 2 where it says that He humbled Himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to what? To the point of death, even death on the cross. So it's not talking about obedience to, you know, Jesus, you know, clean the garden, Jesus, clean your room, but Jesus' obedience to the Father's will will mean your death. And because Jesus, not because He was weak, but because He was meek, He was gentle and humble. He humbled Himself to the will of the Father. So when we ask the question, what does it mean for me as a 33-year-old man in the year 2012, what does it mean to me, or, or what does it mean to be meek? What does it mean for you to be meek? Well, the character of meekness is gentle humility. 
but then the action of meekness for us today will be the same as it was for Jesus. And that is to humble ourselves to the point of obedience to the Father. And the result of that is that we will inherit the earth and be blessed. Several times throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about that if we are those who have faith in Christ, then we are heirs with Christ. So that when God establishes the new heavens and the new earth, that we will inherit those blessings as Christ does. And happiness will be ours. Peace will be ours. Oftentimes, some things can get distorted when we talk about the importance of having faith in Christ. And I hope as we work through the book of Galatians that you know that I am 100% convinced that the only way of salvation is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. That you trust Him for your righteousness. That you trust Him uh, that His death was sufficient to serve as your punishment. And you trust that His resurrection assures that we will spend eternity with Him. And we trust those things. Now, one of the dangers is, is saying, well, if we're, if, if we're just saved by faith, then I can, I can say I have faith in Jesus, and then I can just what? I can go do whatever I want to. I can live any way that I want to. If I'm not saved by, by being a good husband, if I'm not saved by uh, uh, abstaining from sexual immorality, if I'm not saved uh, by abstaining from drunkenness, if I'm not saved by uh, not being a good father, all these different things, then what's the point of doing them if I say, well, I just have faith in Christ. As clear as the Bible is about that you are saved only by faith in Christ, you're made righteous to, with God only by faith in Christ, it is equally clear that the fruit of your faith should lead to a righteous and holy life. And notice what Jesus says here, a couple, a couple passages. If you go back to the uh, to the book of Matthew, if you're not there, you can just listen. It's just one verse. In chapter 7, verse 21, right in this context of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now these aren't my words, these are Jesus' words. Notice what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying there? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that everyone who claims Jesus, say, I love Jesus, He's my Savior. I, you know, I'm a member of Red Bud. I walked down that aisle. I got baptized. Da, 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 all these things. Jesus is saying, not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that not everyone who says that will, will be accepted into the new heavens and the new earth. Not everyone who says that will escape the harm of judgment to come at the return of Christ. These are Jesus' words. Jesus is saying that. But, what else does He say? He says, but, who? Who is the one that will enter the kingdom of heaven? But the one who what? Does... The will of my Father who is in heaven. So do you know what the best way 
to discern true saving faith in someone? Someone who is truly belonging to Christ will gladly do the will of the Father. Because through being poor in spirit, as we talked about two weeks ago, through mourning over their sin, the next thing is meekness. That they recognize that they have no ability to save themselves. And the result is humility. They recognize the wisdom of the Father. And the result is a humbling to the will of the Father. So the question then becomes for us, not so much are you saying you have faith in Christ, because I think many of you would say that, and if you don't, then I exhort you to repent and and profess faith in Christ now. But the question is, do you humble yourself to the point of obedience to the will of the Father? Do you find delight in doing God's will as He's revealed it? Do you joyfully and willingly submit to the commands of God in regard to what it means to be a follower of Christ? In regards to the purity of your mind? In regards to how God defines uh, the boundaries of sexuality? In regards to how God defines how we interact with one another? When God says that, God commands that you are to forgive someone if they wrong you. That God commands that you are to bless those who persecute you. God commands that we're not to be angry with one another. God commands that we're to love one another as ourselves. Do we submit to those aspects of God's will for our personal life? Or do we ignore them and do what we want to do and become gods ourselves? Well, that's not meekness. And therefore, we won't inherit the earth and therefore the end result won't be happiness for you. But it will be misery. So according to Jesus, the way to true happiness is meekness. A gentle and humble character that leads to a willing submission to God's will. So so the character of meekness is gentle humility. The action of meekness is willful submission to the will of the Father. So do you have a gentle, humble character about you that only comes through faith in Christ because you recognize the spiritual condition that you have before God and you recognize that it's only Christ's righteousness that can save you and not your own? And does that lead to a willful, joyful submission to the will of the Father that is clearly demonstrated in your life? And the answer is yes. And the promise of the verse is that we will inherit the earth with Christ. And the fruit of that will be true happiness and blessedness. But the answer is no. I simply exhort you to repent of your sin. To stop being your own God. And to do as Jesus did and submit yourself and humble yourself to the point of obedience to the will of the Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.